and just be able to come and relax in your presence, Father, and to hear your word and to worship and to be able to gather with our brothers and sisters, Father, and just to say, Lord, how much we love you and we appreciate you. Father, Lord, these prayer requests, Father, we just ask that you will come and meet each of the needs, Father. Lord, the Meister family, Father, little Nahum, Lord, we just ask that, Lord, you will continue to touch that little boy, Father. And, Lord, we ask that you will give his parents, Father, strength, Lord, as they're going through this, Lord. I I can only imagine how hard that's got to be for them, Lord. And just ask that you will give them a special blessing as well. Lord, we ask that you'll bless this offering, Father, that we're taking up, Lord. And, Lord, we ask that you'll be with the Word tonight. Father, help us to do our part and to pull, Lord. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may have your seats as the deacons make their way back. And Brother Matt has a special for us this evening. I know you all know this old hymn, so sing it along with me. Oh, my sins. Oh. 
song majesty let's just sing this as brother barry comes this evening
prayer this morning or this evening as we uh, begin this part of the service and I'd like you to remember also uh, Brother Gerald Crowell up in Virginia with the serious cancer, uh, also Brother and Sister Smith and then also Sister Greg. Uh, Sister Greg is kind of taking a turn for the worse and uh, we really do want to hold her up in prayer and just trust that the Lord will undertake for her and give her comfort and give her peace. It's just been a difficult few days for the family, and so um, if you don't mind just remembering her and Sister Frida and Brother Joe uh, in your prayers this week, that would be appreciated. Heavenly Father, as we come into your presence tonight, Lord, it's a special time always, Lord, when we can do that, and we just want to say we thank you so much for a place and for an opportunity we have just to be able to come and set aside and study the word of the Lord. That, Lord, we might be strengthened and that, Lord, we might just benefit from being near you. Because, Lord, when you come, good things always happen. And so we're trusting tonight as well that, Father, you would enrich us by your closeness, by your intimate fellowship. Lord, I just pray that you would have your way among us. And there are many, Lord, who are sick and many who are in need tonight of your touch and I pray for them and ask Lord that you would draw near to each one and especially Sister Greg Lord she's going through a very difficult time and I I just know Lord that our days are numbered upon this earth and I commit her into your hands Lord we pray that you would first of all heal her Lord and, and just raise her up that would be our desire Lord but we put her into your hands and we just ask that you would just take complete control of the situation Give her to you, Lord. We pray for the family. Ask you, Lord, to draw close to them. Bless this little time tonight, Lord, in the reading of the word. 
May it inspire us and comfort us, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. Take your Bible, if you will. Let's look in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 tonight, and uh, we'll take a little reading. Good to have the McCafferty's back. Uh, Good to have all of you here. Good to have the Holloways here. After their journey up to Phelps, Kentucky, and uh, appreciate people who make the journey to Phelps, Kentucky, and make it back alive. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Just a couple of verses here I want to read, and maybe we'll come back to it a little later. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 18. Wherefore, Paul said, We would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered us. But what is our hope? or joy, or crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated. I want to take a little very simple title here tonight, The Presence of God, The Presence of the Lord, and... uh, Bear with me. Just a couple of quick announcements here. I, I just, I don't, I don't know about you, but I've been here a while this afternoon. been here since about uh, 4 o'clock, 4.30, and, and just uh, preparing and uh, just in the quietness of my office there. And it's just really been nice. And I just often think, man, it's just great to have a little place where you can come and just study the Bible, you know, tonight and have the comforts we have and uh, the peace uh, that surrounds us. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I look forward to uh, little sessions like this on Wednesday night. And uh, it doesn't require a crowd, right, for God to move. It doesn't require a crowd for God to heal. It doesn't require a crowd at all for God to do anything. There was a woman one time who touched the hem of his garment all by herself. And God did great things for her. So we should not lower our expectation because it's Wednesday night or because maybe there's less folks here. But rather, we should have an expectation, I believe, that God can and will do uh, exceeding and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That's what the Bible teaches us. I wanted to just say that our library is open. Uh, Sister Doris has been working hard and uh, got things straightened out in there, and uh, we're restocking some things, so that's open. Uh, We also, uh, too, did we bring the trailer? For chairs. So afterwards, we want to thank in advance all you young men for helping us with the chairs, young and old. Uh, we're going to load those chairs that are under the shelter on the Brother Mike's trailer, and they're going to be going to Georgia to a little fellowship there. So uh, after church right away, if your brothers could help out, that would make uh, things go well. Also as well, uh, we have our uh, sanctuary back. Uh, got lots of great comments on our uh, sanctuary and even people online who were watching, they were very, uh, they were, uh, what do you say? They, they commented on the fact that it looked so nice and uh, so so well done, and uh, we appreciate that. But now that we have our sanctuary back, the fellowship hall uh, now comes back to our use. We're going to be slow in reopening the fellowship hall uh, to outside events. We're going to have some local HBT events there uh, for April and May. And then, uh, Lord willing, in June, we'll reassess that again. And partly because, you know, we, if we open up the Fellowship Hall and we have uh, lots of people from outside who are coming and we're still sanitizing and cleaning things pretty thoroughly after our events just because we're still, uh, you know, in that mode of uh, 
countering the, the virus that's there. So uh, for right now, uh, I've talked with the deacons and so forth, and we just felt it would be uh, appropriate for us to uh, slow down the opening up the fellowship hall for other groups. So for us, uh, we're doing some youth events and we're doing some uh, family things and uh, our dinners and so forth. That's, that's fine. Uh, Sister Doris will be the person who coordinates that uh, in uh, in, the, in the library, so you're welcome to do that. Sister Sharon, you were not here on Sunday, but we thanked all of our folks that were on the uh, design committee. Sister Sharon was also on our design committee, and I'll save you the embarrassment of standing up. We'll just have everybody in the world now looking at you in your seat there. But that's a little token of our appreciation, and we thank you for all you did and uh, helping out on the committee, and uh, we just honored all of those folks and appreciate their work very much. Last thing I want to say is just uh, before service, Sister Karen brought a box, and these are church-age books that were printed in Pakistan. And um, we're very thankful for Brother Anwar's work. He re-translated uh, the, uh, the church-age book, and we printed it in Pakistan because it's very hard indeed to import Christian material into a strictly Muslim country. So the best way to get around that is to print it in the country, and we did. And uh, Brother Anwar is gung-ho now on finishing the seven seals. He's working on that, and then we're going to go and and print that as well in Pakistan. So uh, I brought along this copy here, and you're welcome to – it's got your name in it. uh, So if you wanted to take a look at it, you certainly can. But this is the back of the book uh, in in their language. This is the, the very back. So this is the front and it's, it's different. And so they start here and go all the way through the back here. Uh, if you, I'm not going to quote from it tonight because uh, it's a little hard, but uh, uh, we're certainly grateful to have that. And I asked the brothers over there if they would send me some copies. I usually get copies from our printer uh, in, uh, in China, and uh, they send me copies as soon as they're off the press. But these brothers in Pakistan did that. Uh, there are, uh, just, just let me, give me one minute and just to say this, that uh, two things, that uh, we're doing a, a very large project now for the country of Malawi. And Malawi is a place where Brother Hildebrandt and several other ministers years ago went and traveled. And Malawi was just one of those places where God had a lot of seed in, in that little nation. And it's, it's a landlocked nation between Mozambique and uh, Tanzania and Zambia and South Africa and uh, Zimbabwe. And uh, just a little tiny scrap of a place. But there's, uh, today there's over 50,000 believers there because some of the early work that was done. Very zealous believers, I might add. I mean, they're just on fire. And uh, without any books, uh, you know, to, to have, they've used up everything they have. And uh, so they got together as a committee, and they asked me, or a group of ministers, and they uh, asked us if we could, you know, supply printed material. So uh, they they got together a group of translators, uh, ten translators. They translate uh, like crazy, and it goes on to the hub. When it goes on to the hub, then we download it. I send it to Norway. It's configured, and then we send it uh, off to the printer, and the printer then ships it directly into Malawi. So this project actually costs over $100,000, and uh, we are sending into the country 480,000 sermons, 480,000 individual sermons at one time, 
plus 4,000 Bibles. And uh, each Bible is about $7 a piece, $7 or $8 a piece, uh, which are they're expensive, but uh, they're good quality King James Bibles, and, and uh, I'm, I'm still trying to get permission to print it and have not. Uh, but somebody gave me, uh, doesn't want to be identified, but gave me $39,000 to buy 4,000 Bibles for the believers there. So all the ministers in the country will be able to have Bibles, and these Bibles and books will go to every corner of uh of uh, Malawi, plus the other nations around them uh, that speak Chichewa, which is their language. And there's people in Mozambique and people in Zambia uh, who are neighboring countries who speak the same dialect. And so this is a, a massive project, uh, and uh, we, we are just excited to uh, be so far along into it, and everything is all formatted, done. It's at the printers. Uh, they've got all their supplies and materials uh, I wired them a down payment today of $35,000 to get them going, and so they're excited. They're on the roll, and um, let me tell you, uh, nobody's excited as the believers in, in Malawi. I, I sent them a note, and they said, we heard the good news that it's all happening, so they're just really, really excited uh, about that. So we'll, we'll give you some updates as, as things go along there, but it's just great to see, a, uh, see the believers uh, have access to that material, and there is real pressure uh, in that country uh, to not have printed materials, believe it or not. But uh, we're thankful for the opportunity to be able to provide it. I don't know why someone would not want to encourage people to have a book that has the message in it. Anyway, I better... Let's, let's quit on that point, and let's go uh, turn our thoughts now to this subject on the presence of God. This is something that is really uh, a simple thing. And as we begin here, uh, you'll see that this is just a very common thing that uh, we want to talk about for a little bit. But then I want to introduce to you a facet of the presence of God that you might not be thinking about. Uh, the power of attraction is a, um, it's a really important thing in life, whether you realize it or not. Uh, when a boy and a girl meet together uh, and something happens between them, there's an attraction that happens. It's, a, uh, it's something that you can't fake. It's something that is real uh, when, that, when that attraction happens. And I hope uh, you folks that have experienced that, you still believe that that was a good thing. Uh, in your life, if you're married, I still am thankful for the power of attraction that uh, brought me and my wife together and kept us together over all these years, and I'm grateful for that. You think about, you know, we, we could use many examples, and, uh, you know, you think about uh, the, the, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that works in your life to attract you, attract your attention, and pull you out of the world, to, to pull you away from family, from uh, sometimes even your country. I know people who were pulled right out of their uh, occupations. I know one brother, a very uh, fine fellow, was a friend of ours. And uh, when he came into the message, when, when God really began to deal with his heart, uh, he was a single fellow, and he was working as a cable television installer. And uh, he was a guy who ran that wire into your house, and you had, you know, five million channels on your on your TV. Let me tell you, he got under such conviction when, when God got a hold of his heart and was drawing him into the message. He just gave up the job, gave up everything, and uh, you know his family forsook him, and they could never understand him giving up the job that he did. But it was a power of attraction that was greater 
than, you know, his reasoning about staying behind doing something that he felt now uh, was probably not the best thing for people, you know. So uh, the power of attraction is a, is a very, uh, it's a wonderful thing, really, when, when the attraction is towards a good thing. We know that, you know, Satan likes to get in there and attract people to the wrong things. But when, when the right attraction is working, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham makes a couple of comments here in the opening uh, screens here in 1965. And he said, I really felt honored tonight to be uh, coming to a church like this. He said, I always feel better in a church than I do in those auditoriums. And you go into the auditoriums where there's fights and wrestling and burlesque. And everything going on, evil spirits seem to hang around those places. And now that may seem like a superstition, he said, but it isn't so. And when you come into a church, usually, he said, a spiritual congregation, it seems like you feel more at liberty. Why? Because the presence of God is there. You know, it really matters if the presence of God is here. Because if the presence of God is not here, if if the Holy Spirit doesn't decide to visit with us tonight, then really, (laughs) you, you got me. And to me, that probably wouldn't be worth making the journey for, in my opinion. But if he comes, it's well worth the effort. I will tell you that. Because he can do things that you're not even thinking of. And he can, he can comfort your heart. He can settle your spirit. He can heal your body. He can give you answers. He can show you things in the word you've never seen before. He can, I mean, hey, he could do great things. And I will tell you this, that as I said to you a little while ago, that One of the enemies of revival is what you already know. When you're sitting there and you've got it figured out what God's going to do and this is the way our service is going to be and this is what Brother Barry's going to do and we're going to be there for an hour and then we'll go and go to a restaurant and have coffee and then we'll go home again and you've got it all mapped out. You know what? It's hard for the Holy Spirit to do anything different when you've got it all figured out your way. The enemy of revival is what you already know. What you ought to do is just come and say, Lord, it's Wednesday night. You know what? We have no agenda, and it's entirely up to you tonight what you do. But, Lord, you take control, and I'm not here to guide you, and I'm not here to tell you what to do. Just take complete control and show yourself mighty among us tonight. Whatever you desire to do, Lord, that's the way to begin. That's the way to initiate revival in your heart. The enemy of revival is what you already know. And Brother Branham says it's just a wonderful thing when you come into an assembly and the presence of God is there. And it's normally felt there because of what went on before he got there. Oh, Lord, just once more, 1963, Brother Branham makes a very important statement here. And I want you to watch with me. He's talking about Samson. And he said, what do you think was going through his mind? Many victories that he had and the many great things that he had done when the Spirit of the Lord was on him. But he was conscious. That he had every muscle, but the Spirit of the Lord was missing. Samson, with just muscles, was a a strong man. But without the Spirit of the Lord, he had no victories. Samson knew what it was like to have the Spirit of the Lord anoint him. To have the presence of God come and just wrap itself around him and and, uh, allow him to do great things. You know how he vanquished the army of the Philistines with uh, just a jawbone and all the other great things that Samson had done. And he was conscious of that. In other words, if if you ever come into the presence of God, you know what it's like to be outside of the presence of God. Right? I mean... 
I, I, I just say this. I appreciate Mitchell coming to sing tonight and the, and the musicians there. And, you know, we just had Matt and Peter who were here. And uh, just in, in a real sense, just something very simple. But there's just a, an atmosphere that's created right from the beginning that's different than, I'd say, where all of you were today. The things that you had to wrestle with today and the things you had to put up with today and uh, the noise and the clatter and all the other distractions that you had today. And you come into this place and everything kind of, it, it, it's, it's a shift, right? It's a, it's a different thing. And at the end of it, you know, you think, my goodness, wouldn't it be nice to be able to live this way all the time? You know, it would be a great thing. And then you got to go, then you, some of you got to go out, uh, after this and go buy gas in the gas station and people are ahead of you buying lottery tickets and, uh, you know, talking about all kinds of things and you're, you realize, whoa, back in the world again. I got news for you. One day we'll enter into that and we will never come out of it again. But one thing is for sure, we do know the contrast, and this is what Samson is saying. But remember now, Brother Bram is not just speaking historically about Samson. He is also talking about all those people in his audiences, who once knew what it was like to be wrapped by the presence of God and to be in meetings where the anointing of the presence of God was very real. You know what? They might have the muscles now. They might have the big church building and the money to do things. They might have lots of more people than they ever had before. But what's the good of it if the Spirit of the Lord is missing? So he's not just talking about Samson. Let me tell you something. He says, Don't try to join the most fancy church and the most eloquent bunch. You stay with Christ where the Spirit of the Lord is. You stay with that. In Influence, in 1963, again, Brother Branham said, Now the world has got to such a place where they take his name in vain and they tell dirty jokes, even ministers. And he said, "Uh, You hear a joke? He said, I guess it would be all right. Brother Branham was not against humor. Brother Branham was not against relaxing. As a matter of fact, very often he would, after some of the meetings, uh, when he was on his way home, you know, back to Jeffersonville, uh, Brother Perry Green told me one time that uh, Brother Branham was in the car with him, and he said, Perry, tell me a joke. And Brother Green kind of, you know, was a little surprised at that, and he said, no, tell me a joke. And he said, I've just been in that realm so long, he said, I just need to relax my spirit a little bit and come down from that place. And uh, Brother Green said he, he's, you know, Brother Green had a great memory, and he started rattling off these jokes, and he said Brother Bram was rolling from side to side in the car like that, and just, you know, they were just enjoying each other's uh, company there, and uh, it just, it just relaxed his, relaxed his mind uh, just a little bit. Brother Bram was not against humor. Brother Bram was not against relaxing. Brother Bram was not uh, against getting away. Are you all right? As long as it was good, as long as it was clean, some of you don't know whether you should amen that or not. I'll tell you what, it's all right. Trust me on that one. It's all right. I mean, he tells a story about the brothers out in Arizona. Remember when they uh, were out there and they had a disagreement? And the only thing they could do is get out and, and take oranges and throw at one another and rocks and, you know, everything else. He said they'd just be, you know, just, just having a, a great time, just relaxing there. I'll tell you what, uh, when, uh, you know, some of you ministers know, Mother Mike could know that, you know, you, you get in that channel uh, you need to do things that, that uh, just, you know, help you relax and your nerves and everything else. It's not an easy place always to be. Now, Brother Bram goes on. He says, now, when you're carrying on, he says, and you lose that grain of sincerity. In other words, when it becomes carnal, he said then, you know, he was uh, elaborating. He said it becomes a problem. But you must remember this. He said that God is watching, God is watching you every hour. 
And he watches you when you're asleep, thank God. And I think the reason that people do these things is because they're not conscious of his presence. The reason why people could do things that are so uh, evil or dirty or like he mentions up in the top right here. And, and people who should be an example, you know, people who should know better. And he says, here they are doing those things he is, because they're not conscious of his presence. But yet he's here, whether you think he's here or not, he's here. There's not a place in the world that you can go where the presence of God is not. He's everywhere, because he's omnipresent. He sees every look that you make, and every move that you make, and he knows all about it. Interesting, isn't it? It's an interesting thing about the presence of God because he's there whether people think he's not. You know, when people try to hide, people try to run from the presence of God or people try to hide things, you know, it, it doesn't work at all. He's there whether you think he's there or not. He sees every look that you make. Now, let me say this. that uh, You know, I, I believe the, 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 the relationship that we have uh, with him is a, uh, a, a true relationship where when God sends us to do something or God calls us to be something, he doesn't uh, send us away. But rather, he wants to go with us so he can act through us. It's a relational journey that we have. It's not just a functional one. If I told uh, Ethan over here, I said, Ethan, hey, we need batteries for the microphones here. Uh, off you go. You know, here's $10. Go to Walmart and bring us back some batteries. That would be a functional trip he's taken, right? But if I said to him, hey, Ethan, if you don't mind, you got nothing to do, hey, let, why don't mean you go on a trip here? We gotta, we're going to go to uh, Walmart, going to get a few things, come back. Then it, it, would be a, it would be a journey where we're doing something, but it would be a relation, more relational because he and I both would be going. And, and that's, that's the way that God deals with us. That you know, He does not just send us away so that we're away from him, but rather he, desi- he, he delights in being able to go with us so that he can, he can express himself through us. And there's a difference when you think about that. Because in reality, the presence of God is always with you. I mean, didn't Jesus say, he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So whether people realize it or not, it is true. It's also true that everybody doesn't react to the presence of God in the same way. If you don't mind, take your Bible for a minute. Let's go just go to Luke, fourth chapter. Very simple here this evening as we begin this study here. Luke chapter 4. The first 13 verses of Luke chapter 4 are all about Jesus' struggle with Satan in the desert, and he wins the victory over him. 13, the devil ended all his temptation, and he departed from him uh, in a season. Jesus comes in verse 14 into the synagogue, and that's where he takes a scroll and reads from the, uh, from the book and the uh, you know, declares to them, this day the scripture is fulfilled. This is what Isaiah prophesied about, and here we are. And he says, now we have come to the acceptable day of the Lord. And in 21, he begins to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. You know, for us believers, what a great thing that is. When somebody comes and takes the book and tells you, this is the day you're living in. This is what God is doing. This is the scripture that's being fulfilled. This is what you've got to keep your eye on. I mean, that's great, isn't it? That's how I, I look at it. I mean, the, the pressure's off you trying to wonder where you are and what God wants you to see and know and do. And Jesus is standing there, the embodiment of the word, and telling the people, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And the Bible says, 
in verse 28, at the end of Jesus' discourse, and all they in the synagogue, all the people who were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with joy or filled with wrath. I mean, there's the presence of God right there. And Jesus disclosing to them exactly what's going on and exactly what day they're living in. And, and they're, they're all upset with this. They're all perturbed to the point of wrath. Now, in, in verse 29, it says, And they rose up, and they thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill, whereon their city was built, and might cast him down headlong. I've got a picture of us. Last time we were in Israel, standing on the brow of that hill. And I had to be real careful. Uh, and even though I'm, we're 2,000 years up the road, I had to be real careful uh, standing on the brow of that uh, cliff because, let me tell you, there wasn't much uh, there. It was just straight down. And as you're standing there looking at it, uh, looking this way, you could see Nazareth, the little town of Nazareth there, which is still not much. But, but this is just nothing but a cliff and a valley down there full of rocks. And they drag Jesus up there, and they're getting getting ready. One, two. And the the Bible says that he just slips away. Now, they didn't actually pick him up, but you know what I mean. They're ready. That's how they executed people back in that day. And Jesus just slips away. You know why? Because it wasn't their time. But here are people in the presence of God. They're in the presence of the Word made flesh, right? And their response is very different than how you just responded when I said, how nice it is to be able to have, you know, the word identified and, and to know this day this scripture is fulfilled, to know that this day is the day that we're living in that God has led us to. The presence of God d- does something to attract the believers all the time. Doesn't it, 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 it'll, it'll, it'll get people's attention, but it will truly attract believers because there's something in them that responds to the voice of God every time. Right? Come on. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And a stranger they won't follow. So there's something about the voice of God. There's something about the word of God that when it's preached correctly, when it's stated correctly, it has an attraction to the people of God. And it'll begin to pull them. It'll it'll pull them towards the, uh, the kingdom they belong in. And it should still continually do that. So the word attract means to draw by a physical force. And adhere. In other words, they'll they'll be attracted to something until they stick together. Like if you take a magnet and you put it near something that's metal, it'll it'll attract. They'll attract one another until they adhere, until they're stuck together. It it means to pull instead of repel. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? The word of God is meant to. Attraction means to pull two things together to keep them together, not so that they can repel. The Word of God should never repel a believer. It should never force a believer away. It means to draw by appealing to the emotions or senses, by stimulating interest, or by exciting admiration and allure. So, and this is the English word now, attraction. It means that uh, there will be something used uh, to get somebody's attention. There'll be something there. Now, Brother Manum uh, often refers to this. You remember, uh, he said that here's Moses, and he's going along a well-worn path for 40 years, herding sheep in the wilderness. A well-worn path. He went there every day. God knew he went there every day. And one day, he just stops, and he looks over and sees a bush that's on fire. 
and it, it's not consumed. He's looking at this. Fires in the wilderness are not that strange. But to see a little bush, now they don't have great forests out there. And so a little bush there on fire, you would expect it to be consumed very quickly. And Moses is, is looking at this, and, and he's, he's, there's no change. I mean, it attracts him. It gets his attention, right? And he stops and he realizes. Then he hears the, then he hears the, the sound that comes out of it. Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. But there was God used something natural, something simple to attract him and got a hold of his emotions or his senses there by stimulating an interest in this. And what, you know, what is this that's going on? Then he realizes what this is. There's a voice in this sign. And it stops him. God will do that. God will do that. God uses healing to do that. But if God does this, if God attracts the believers to his word, the opposite then will also be true. Because Satan is not a creator. He's a perverter of everything that God does. So Satan knows how to distract. And to distract is the opposite of this. It means to draw away or to divert as the mind or attention to provide a pleasant diversion to amuse or entertain. I would have to say this. I believe that Satan has distracted a lot of people in our generation to all kinds of things that really don't matter and don't count and are not edifying at all. I've got to find a way to reduce this circle size, but the word amuse is an interesting word because the word muse, M-U-S-E, is it means to think, to ponder on something. You know, you hear sometimes, uh, you know, you say something and you watch people that will muse over that for a while. They'll think about that. When you put the letter A in front of a word like muse, it means that, they don't want to think. It's, a, it's like uh, uh, there's no thinking involved. Now think about this. That when, when our world focuses on amusement, it's designed for you to not have to think about anything. You, I, 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 I heard somebody talk about binge watching. And I had no idea what that was. I, I, I was trying to figure out what the, what the term meant. And then somebody told me what it meant. That binge watching means that if there's a series there, apparently, if there's a series of, of shows or something, and there's a hundred of them in the series, like season 59, and there's 10 uh, shows in every season, that's 590 shows, the binge watch means you start at number one, season one, number one, and go all the way through until you're finished or dead, one or the other, or insane. And it means that it, that, that is a, a type of amusement. I don't need to think. I'm just numbed by this. And, I, you know, one thing goes after another and after another. I don't have to think about it at all. It's, it's the opposite of thinking. Distraction is the opposite of attracting. So if God uses his word, if God uses the supernatural to attract his people, or let's say this, if God uses the Bible to attract his, uh, his elect, Satan's going to use everything else but that to attract the rest of the world and try to get them diverted as far away as they possibly can so they don't land on the right thing. Attraction is a pretty powerful thing. Brother Branham said today, he said all the nation goes into sin, whiskey and people getting cold and formal and uncensored radio programs and uncensored television programs. We've come a long way from just that. And he said it's so fascinating. Sin is so beautiful until it attracts the attentions of the people. And what's Satan doing? He's dropping down onto a level that's a little lower than the, than the realm of the soul to attract people in their spirit and attract people in their flesh 
And he, he knows exactly how to make it beautiful to accomplish that. It gets faster, it gets glitzier, it gets more immoral, it gets more bold, uh, there's more people killed, there's more action, there's more uh, music, there's more, uh, it, it, it's, it becomes more fantastic every, at every turn, right? And, and what's he doing? He's not, he's not trying to edify anyone, he's not trying to do anyone any good. He's simply trying to stay a step ahead of what God is actually doing in a certain age or a certain time, among a certain generation. Now, follow it now. And he said, if they're not truly born again, where their attraction is on Christ and single-minded, they'll go after that stuff. They'll go after that stuff. They'll act like those people. And the spirit of that will get on them. People will start to dress like that. They'll start to sing like that. They'll start to, uh, you know, act that way. They sh- surely will. And he says they'll go after that stuff. And the only thing, listen, folks, the only thing that's going to hold people when Satan ramps it up and the spirit of the, uh, of, of the enemy comes in like a flood, the only thing that's going to hold you is a true encounter with God that quickens that seed of God on the inside. How many can say amen? I'll tell you what, when you're young, you can sit there and agree with me and nod your head. But I will tell you that it's not not just by association. It's got to be by a real experience with God. And a person making a complete and full surrender of their life to Christ and letting the Holy Spirit come into their life and help them walk in newness of life. That's really the only way. That's really the only way. And Brother Bram goes on to say, he said, used to be the old Pentecostals wouldn't let their children go to picture shows, and the devil pulled one over on their eyes, and he brought the picture show right in the house. So you see how he got it. He's slick, he's wise, he's slimy as he can be. This is good advice. It would be as though Brother Branham was looking at our day instead of just that day, and I will tell you this, you should never underestimate the power of, of the enemy to try to distract you, you stay under the cross. That's his advice. It's real simple advice, but it's really good advice. You stay under the cross. It's the only place to stay for safety. So the old-timers, they stayed with God. Pause for a second. If growing old was the answer, then all the old people would have it, right? And all you people who are over 20 would say, well, I'm kind of old. It isn't just natural age. I believe that there are a lot of old-timers who had a real experience with God and have stayed with God over time. And uh, Brother Bram's referring to them, you know, as people who have stayed with God over the years through through the difficult times and through the temptations and through the difficulties that they experience. And he said they stayed with God. In other words, what he's really telling us is that a new birth brings you into a place where you have protection from the, from the outside world there. And it, it also gives you the staying power, the holding power, to be able to stay no matter what Satan comes up with next. And this old prophet stayed with God so God could speak to him. I believe that God wants us to see that. I believe, listen, I believe that he wants to see that in every one of us especially in this last age when there are many, many more diversions now than there ever have been. Because remember now, whenever you raise a standard in your own life and whenever you have a a good moral boundary, which is a great thing to have, and we encourage everybody to have moral boundaries. Like you should have, uh, when it comes to boy-girl relationships, you should have a boundary set before you enter into that and say, hey, if some boy ever gets interested in me or some girl comes around, uh, we're not going to touch 
We're not going to kiss. Because I'll tell you what, if you, if you come to me and you say, Brother Barry, we'd like you to perform our wedding, I will ask you this question. I've said this before. It bears repeating. I will ask you the question. Is the first time you kiss going to be at the altar? I'll ask you that question. Because I'd like to know that. And I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, well, uh, let's, let's, let's carry on here because we'll come back to that in a little bit. Don't underestimate Satan's potential. Don't underestimate his ability to pull you away from the cross. The cross is that place of safety. Don't underestimate his ability to try to distract you and bring you something that appeals to you because Brother Branham taught us he studies you. And he knows the weak areas of your life. He knows those vulnerabilities that you have. And he knows them all well enough that you should never underestimate him. You always have to keep your guard up. You always have to employ Ephesians chapter 6, which Paul talks about the, the helmet and the shield and the sword and the buckler and everything else that protects you from the darts that Satan will throw at you. Don't underestimate his ability to pull you away. Because he operates in realms that are beautiful. They're not evil. They're not dark. They are, they are attractive. They are things that uh, could be like everyone is doing. So it's easy to fall into that uh, groove or into that channel with everybody else. Don't underestimate it. Brother Bram said a woman here not long ago in Louisville, Kentucky, she had a little baby about two years old. And she had him in her arms and she'd pick up little things in the store. She was in a store. And she'd shake him and she'd say, look, honey, look. And the little kid would just sit there and stare and she'd walk over to something else and say, darling, look at this. And the people in the store began to watch her. And she got hysterical. She picked up a little rattle, which ought to uh, attract a little boy like that. And that's true. Every little boy likes to have anything that makes noise. And she picked up a little rattle, which ought to uh, attract a little boy and said, look, honey, look, honey, look, darling, look. And the little boy just stared. And she fell over on the counter, and the people came over to her, and they picked her up to find out what was the matter. Brother Bram said, she said, my little boy, she's just, he's just staring in space. And I took him to the doctor, and the doctor says he's better, but the things that should attract a boy like that doesn't attract him anymore. He just seems to be blind to it. So Brother Manum is either there or he's, tell, he's told the story, and then he, he applies it this way. He said, there's something there that's something like the church today. He said, God has shaken every kind of a gift before the church that he promised to shake, and still we stare in space. And Master, we would desire a sign from thee. When he's done everything in the Bible that he's promised to do, he says, hey, we're living at the end time. All right, so if we take this and we go back to the previous statement here, you can't underestimate, sorry, I'm going the wrong way. Uh, you can't underestimate the power of Satan to pull you away. And here's Brother Branham looking, using this example to describe how the church has become numb to the things that God would ordinarily use to attract people to the gospel. And he says, hey, we've arrived. It's not like it's going to come down the road. We've arrived. And he said, God's shaken. Hey, listen, I, I will tell you this. I would love to have been in the meetings where Brother Branham was. I, I've listened to people talk about their experiences 
in, in many parts of the world and sat down and talked to him. I uh, sat down and talked to people who had personal interactions with Brother Branham. And, uh, you know, just, just the, the, uh, the things that happened. I, I talked to uh, people who were leaders of the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship out in California. And uh, they described what it was like to have Brother Branham among them. And he said that we'd be at a restaurant and eating. And Brother Branham started talking about this waiter and what, he's, what was going on in his life. And he said it was constant. There was always something that was going on. Always something that was happening there because he lived in that channel. He lived in that space, you know, where he, where God could deal with him and God could commune with, commune with him. But on a, on a personal level, and then on a church level, and then on an interdenominational level, and then on a worldwide level, here's God shaking a prophet before the world, and the people, look, you know, they, like he describes about that Chicago meeting when they come, and they're all listening to him, and the angels showed him what it would be like, and he said they're all shaking their hands under the table, and they told him, oh, we'll all be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, not one of them showed up. And that's where he took his Bible. You remember he stood up there and he said, somebody come here and stand and take their Bible and show me where that's wrong in the Scripture. And Billy Paul told us afterwards, he said, he had told Billy Paul, he said, if any minister stood up to come up and challenge him, he said, the angel of God was there to smite him dead on the spot. And, and, and the people in that day, they saw that, they heard that, they, they, they knew that. They were, they were there in the meetings where their congregational members were in there with certain diseases that they knew Brother Branham didn't know anything about. And he's describing their name, their address, their condition, and what they've gone through, and they'd be healed supernaturally. And here's God shaking everything in front of the people. And the people just looking off in the distance. Who cares? So what? Don't ever underestimate. I'm telling you, folks, don't underestimate Satan's power and Satan's influence in the world. You think, wow, Brother Barry, I'm in a message. You know, I got a, I got a message app on my phone, and I'm good. I will tell you this, don't you underestimate Satan's power. Brother Branham says when God gets ready to do anything, the people is all torn up. Stop. Why would the people be torn up when God gets ready to do something? You know why? It's because they're already in a mode of doing things. They got a tradition. They got a way of doing things in their church. We got a set of beliefs. We got a pew. I always sit in this pew. I don't want to change pews. No congregation likes to hear their pastor talk about their place in their pew. No congregation. And the reason they were tore up in their journey is because there were a mixed multitude that went up and the testing time came. In other words, what are you going to do about the word now that's manifested before you? We came along. We're building a wall. We came along. Now we're going to turn a corner. What are you going to do now? What's your reaction now? It's a testing time. And every time that God makes a move, there's usually a mixed multitude, and it attracts the attention of all and creates a mixed multitude. When God makes a move, you'll find all kinds of isms and everything moving with it. But the testing time comes, and God tests every son or daughter that comes to him, no exceptions at all. God gives them the testing time to prove them. I, I, let me tell you, my father-in-law is probably listening tonight. Uh, he had in his church up in Christiansburg, when he uh, first got associated with the message of the hour, he had 1,000 people in his congregation. He had 10,000 people on his mailing list. And when he got up and preached the Godhead the first time, 500 of those people walked out the door. Because now, all of a sudden, God was turning a corner. And he took all 10,000 of those mailing, uh, of his mailing list and brought it to the dump and dumped it all there because he knew this was God turning a corner. 
And then he preached, someone came along and preached serpent seed, and another couple of hundred left. And I, I mean, it was just a dramatic change because whenever God is doing something, there's an attraction among people. But now when God manifests the word on a higher level, people are gone. And it's a testing time. Aren't you glad you're here tonight? You better pray. You, you ought to pray that, that God gives you the holding power. I, look, here's the, here's the woman at the well. You know the story. You know the scripture real well. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. The more he says, the more that this is uh, just catching something on fire inside of her. She's just enjoying this. She's just responding to this. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. Ye say that Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh. When ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And when it's all said and done, and he says the right thing, and she responds in the right way, she leaves her water pot and went into the city and saith unto the man, Come see a man which told me all of these things. Isn't this the very Christ? When is the last time your testimony has moved in an entire village? She must have had something really sincere to say. She must have had something really powerful to say. And she goes in. Remember, she's not even welcome in the city. She's not even welcome at the, at the well with the other women. And she barrels back into town and testifies of her experience, her encounter with Jesus. And it said, the, the next verse says, and the whole town came out to hear what he had to say. That's the right response. That's, that's the right. She's attracted by what he's saying. He's saying the right thing. It's attracting her in the right way. She's responding in the right way. Are you okay? I mean, that's the testimony of every believer, right? And that's why when Brother Manham went to the cave to try to understand his own ministry, the angel directed him to this scripture because this was about to take place on a great scale where God would allow the word to be manifest in such a clear way and it would capture the believer and pull them out. It would attract them out of where they were and they would fulfill the scripture which said in the last day, come out of her, my people. Right? That's what was supposed to happen. And the audience, Brother Branham said, would know we're strangers, but dear sir, I know one thing. I'll have to give an account for my life here on the earth before Almighty God in your presence, but Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God that's raised from the dead. He's in that channel talking to this man in the prayer line. He's just, uh, you know, speaking to him. And he said, I'm just a man like you are. He said, there's nothing in me, nothing in my flesh. He said, we're nothing but the Holy Spirit that's here. That's what's important, is the Holy Spirit that's here. He comes through the Word, the ministering of the Word, the Word brings Him. The Word brings Him. So when the right Word is said, when the right Word is spoken in front of a believer, it brings that believer into contact with with Christ himself, right? I mean, when the woman at the well, when she heard the right word, it, it's not a connection with Jesus the man. She's, she's actually connected to God. And now there's, you know, there's a, uh, she's, got, she's running with a message now, right? She's got, she's got all of a sudden new life. She's got a new voice. She's got new passion. She's got, uh, I mean, all, in, in a sense, everything is all passed away and everything's become new. And she runs into town with a new word. Because the right word in season brings God close. Now, hold on to that just for a moment. 1962, Brother Brandon makes this interesting statement. He says, 
The Bible said for me to be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ. It didn't mean something else. It didn't mean Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It said that, Matthew 28, 19. Well, you say, well, Matthew 28, 19, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Well, now, if that isn't right, haven't got the right thing, then the faith that Peter had to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ and all the rest of the Bible, they had a false revelation that God blessed. And he should have blessed Eve in the beginning, and when she committed the sin that she did, he should have blessed her. You understand what he's saying? The, the wrong revelation doesn't bring the presence of God. But, hey, Peter must have had something right because when he did what he did on the day of Pentecost, it brought the Spirit of God into that place. When Peter prayed for the man at the gate beautiful, remember in Acts chapter 4? And they all got together in the room afterwards. You remember that? And they began to pray the Scriptures. They began to recite the Scriptures. And the Spirit of God moved right in on the scene there. God will bless the right revelation, not the wrong revelation. So Brother Bram says, well, if you say we're going to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, he said if God honors that, then God honored Peter making the, the choice that he did. He honored that, and that was a wrong, wrong revelation, wrong way to baptize. There's either one way or the other to be baptized, right? And God doesn't honor whatever way you want. God honors his word. Isn't that right? Because his word brings him on the scene. And so when Peter got up and preached what he did, on the day of Pentecost, there was 3,000 souls that were saved, right? There was the right response by the people that were out there because he preached the right revelation and the right understanding that the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's how we're going to proceed from here on, boys. And all these people step out be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if this is not true, and he said God would have to go right back to the Garden of Eden and bless Eve for the wrong thing that she did. The wrong interpretation of the word. God does, listen, God does not honor the wrong interpretation of the word. Right? Now, think about our age. I mean, we think down through the ages when they, all they have was an understanding of the Trinity. But think about in our age. Listen, there's a lot of people that don't want to have the responsibility that grace brings. There's a lot of people don't want to have to deal with the responsibility that revelation brings. Hello? I mean, we have, a, we have a revelation that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And therefore, you know what? Uh, repentance is still true then, right? If, if, if his word is true and, his, and, and Jesus Christ is the same, repentance is still in season. Holiness is still in season. Isn't that right? Forgiveness is still in season. All of those things that were found in Scripture are still in season here. No matter what Satan does to try to attract everybody else in other directions here, it's all still true. And God's always going to honor. Look, if, if you're going to, if you're going to uh, invest in something, invest in the Word. Invest your life in the Word and following the Word of God. No matter who does what, do that and God will honor that because that's the pattern all through Scripture. All right? Hold on. Hold on. Stay with me. The church, he said... Is all in order. I quoted this from Matt tonight. Questions and answers on the Holy Ghost. And Brother Bram's talking about the church and, you know, how, how uh, it should be in order. He said people coming, setting, meditating, and praying is prior to the beginning of the preaching. And he said that's what you're supposed to do. He said not come to church and talk to one another. and come to, we, we come to church to talk to God. He said have your fellowship out there. He's referring to the lobby and out beyond the lobby. We're fellowshipping with God now, and everything quiet, reverent, spirit moving. And the pianists come to the piano about five minutes before the song service starts, and it starts real sweetly. 
some good, sweet song quietly. And you know what it does? It brings the presence of the Holy Ghost into the meeting. Isn't that the point? We, we have a responsibility to do whatever it takes to make him welcome. We need to roll out the welcome mat every single service. And you have a part in that. Brother Bram saying that the people, their attitude when they come in, the musicians when they come in, and the minister when he comes, everybody has a part to do one thing and one thing only, and that is to create that atmosphere because in the presence of God, anything can happen, and in the presence of God, everything can happen, right? And I, I'll tell you what, folks, let's not kid ourselves. It does not, it does not just start when you roll through the door. Really, Brother Bram said church order begins at home, doesn't it? Told you the story before about my brother. I was up in Newfoundland visiting, and I was standing by the church door. Uh, we just arrived, and standing by the church door, my brother pulls up. He's, his kids are all still little. They're all still in the van. And um, I, just, I just took note. And they pulled into the parking lot, stopped, and he does this. They all bow their heads. And then they get out of the van. They pray. I thought, wow, look at that. Who knew? My brother. And I said, I, I, just got, I went over to him. I said, I've got to commend you. That's really something that you'd, you, you, you'd pray like that before you get out of the van to come into service and prepare your He said, hey, don't get the wrong idea. He said it was such fighting and bickering, and uh, I lost my shoe, and you got my, my hat on, and all the other stuff. He said, we were about to kill one another when we left the house. He said, we're asking God for forgiveness before we come into church. But God won't strike us with lightning. But let me tell you something. Church order begins at home. And you can't, you can't live the opposite and then come into the church and, and act a certain way and expect God to. It's a life, isn't it? It's a life. And that life is lived outside of here as well. But notice now, that at, he says that atmosphere, and you come in here, that atmosphere brings the presence of God. Now let's look at somebody else, the rich young ruler here. Again, you know the scriptures real well. In 21, Jesus beholding him, he loved him, and he said, listen, one thing thou lackest, that's pretty good. He, does, he doesn't say, here's the list. He said, you know what, when I look at you, I see one thing, just one thing that I'm going to comment on. I... I, I I just want you to know that there's a little thing in there that unless, we, unless you deal with that, it, it's going to trouble you. I'm just paraphrasing now. And he says, look, there's a, there's a thing about riches. There's a thing about image. There's a thing about possessions. There's a thing about your position in this town and all of that. And he's saying, look, be willing to let it go. Just let it go. And take up. My cross, remember his cross is better. He explained that already. And follow me. That's, that's, that's the only thing that you have to do. But he looked at that and he was sad at that saying, here's somebody in the presence of God, asks the right question, gets the right answer, and goes away sorrowful because of the right answer that he's got in the presence of Almighty God. Look, I, I, just, I, I want to say this very simply. I pray, I really do pray, that if, if you come to church and you're looking for an answer, you've got a question about something, and you get the answer, don't go away sorrowful. Go away thanking God that God was mindful of your question 
mindful of your situation and condescended to bring you the answer, even if you didn't like it, it's still the grace of God that would prevent us from making a wrong step. Right? Hello? God doesn't want you to make wrong steps. Jesus didn't want this rich young ruler to make the wrong step or to be diverted by something other than the truth. And he was, he was admonishing him with exactly the right issue to deal with. And his response is incorrect. I can, I can deal with this. I can handle it. Now, watch here. Some of you women may be Pentecostal. He said, been guilty of wearing immoral clothes, cutting your hair. And he says, here in Arizona, not too many of them wearing makeup. He said, that was fought against too. And he said, well, there's nothing in the Bible to say for you not to wear makeup. But we just know it's wrong because it's of the world. Hello? Let me read that again. There's nothing in the Bible. Like, there's no, there's no scripture that says, thou shalt not wear mascara. Thou shalt not blush. Thankfully, it doesn't say that. But whenever Brother Branham talks about this whole idea of makeup, who does he bring in as a personification of this problem but the worldliest woman around, right? Who was it? Come on. Jezebel. We, know, we, we just know it's right. Hey, listen, God gave you a brain for a reason. Right? God gave you examples so that you could look at them and learn from them. And how God reacted to people like that and the way they conducted themselves. He said there is a commandment that if a woman cuts her hair, she's a dishonorable person. And if, a, and, and if it looks that way to God and you say you got the Holy Ghost, there's something wrong. Satan's attracted you to something that is contrary to the Word of God. See how good he is at this. Because there, there, let me tell you, there's lots of people, even around the ranks of the message, who will be doing something contrary to the word, but have a biblical or a message quote to back them up. And let me tell you, that doesn't make it right. There's, he, he said, we, we, we know it's wrong because it's of the Bible. I, I think I'd have to include some other things in there too, like binge watching. Wouldn't that be... A wrong thing, unless you're watching Deep Call It to Deep for a hundred times. or <laughs> To wear a garment, he said, that pertains to man. Oh, sister dear, don't pattern after the world. You understand what he's saying? That Satan's attracted you to something to look a certain way, you know, to reduce your age or whatever else. Forsake the world. Hold to Christ. You say, well, what difference does it make? Blessed is he that does all of his commandments that he might have a right to enter into the tree of life. Why do we follow his commandments? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Let me go to just a little shade further, just a couple of minutes. Here's Brother Brandon back in the, he's referring to 30 years ago. This is 1963 in the first seal. And he said, now what does that white horse mean? And he says, I'm just as positive as this. I'm standing here. He said that this is the word. The last time that I tried to go through it, though, the last time, teaching it about 30 years ago, Somebody had told me from the Adventists, and they had more light on the second coming, so I found some of their good books and read them. And I got Smith's book on Daniel's Revelation, and he said the white horse that went forth was white, symbolized a conqueror, 
They were fine teachers, supposed to be some of the best with the best light. And I thought, well, if I don't know, I'll just say what they said and try to teach it that way. And they gave a very good explanation of what it meant. Hey, you know what? It was wrong. It's a logical interpretation. It, it is, it is a, a, a human interpretation, if you like. And here's Brother Branham saying that I, I did this 30 years ago. And you know what? God went nowhere with it. God went nowhere with it. But now, Brother Branham's got an angel that comes to him and gives him the revelation. And they said, that is a white, white horse, and a white horse is a power. And the man that sat on that white horse is the Holy Spirit, went forth in the early age and conquered that for the kingdom of God. That makes natural sense. That makes logical sense, right? And he had a bow in his hand, which was like Cupid. And he shot the arrows of love in the hearts of the people and the love of God, and he conquered. And he said, that sounds very good, but it isn't the truth. You know, you know what the problem is, is that Satan's got in there and attracted people to some of these smart, you know, theologians, and they, they have their own ideas about things, and, and, and they're making a nice picture. They're creating a nice picture. And here's Brother Ram comes along, and he looks at it because he's got a revelation now, and he sees, huh, you know what, it is a picture, but the cow is up in the tree eating grass there, so let's just kind of look at this now the way the Holy Spirit gave it to me. And he said, I'm sure as this I'm standing here because... Because, this is not mine, the Holy Spirit came into the room, he said, that pillar of fire, and told me what that first seal was. I don't know what the second one is, but the first one, he said, that was Satan. He said, moving in there as a bluff through the first age. And he said, you watch. And God honors that understanding. You know why? Because it is the right revelation in season. And the seals are taken off the book and all the revelations begin to come forth. Because it's the right word in season. Thirty years ago, Brother Bram never got the same reaction preaching that because he's taken things from the other commentators and so forth. Sincerely. But taking those things from the other commentators. But now, you know what, we've moved into an era, and this is what the angel is saying, and now, hey, we've moved into an era where we're not depending on the partial light they had through the ages. But now, you know what? When you preach the right word, the presence of God moves in as a result of that. All right. But there's another kind of an attraction going on. Everything I said up to this point is just simply the idea of God doing things to attract his elect. Satan doing things to attract, distract people. But God does things through healing, supernatural, through the preaching of the word to attract people. There's one little aspect of attraction that I want to deal with here. And I'll leave it with you, and then we'll pick it up later on, Lord willing. Watch the next statement here. In the choosing of a bride in 1965, Brother Branham says what I've just been saying. Christ does vindicate his word, which attracts the people. It attracts a mixed multitude at first. Don't attract the people at churches. They're attracted by denominations and big doings. You know, people were coming to Brother Ram's meetings for the healings and all of that. Great big carry-ons and fancy things. But the Word of God attracts the bride of Christ. When the dust settles, who's left? It's just the bride that's left because of the Word, right? Okay, so that's what I've been saying now for the last 40 minutes. But watch what he goes on to say. While the true bride attracts the attention of God by keeping his word. This is not God attracting us. This is now us attracting him by one means, and that's obedience. Brother, Brother Sam did a wonderful job 
at asking that question, who do you want to have among you? Who do you want to have in your tabernacle? Who do you want to have with you? How do I get him close to me? How do I attract the Lord Jesus himself? There is really only one way. And that is to take his word and obey it and keep it and submit yourself to it. And by that you will attract the presence of God near you. It's not any more complicated than that. Let me read it one more time. Calling Jesus on the scene. If you could only realize that he's here with us. Same yesterday, today, forever. Lo, I'm with you always. I never leave you nor forsake you. How can you be sure? How can you be sure? He said, by his proven word. He's now waiting for you to call him on the scene to be proved. So let us go wake Christ in our lives. This is his advice. Let's wake Christ in our lives. How do you wake Christ? That's what he asked, that's what he asked the people. How do you wake Christ? I cut off the line right there. How do you wake him? That's what we need to know, right? Because we know he's here. But how do we awaken him to fulfill his purpose in my life? How do we awaken him to get the rapturing faith we need to get out of here? How do we awaken him to a greater reality in our homes? Let's, let's, let's put it there. You know, you have young, you're raising kids and teenagers and so forth. How do you, how do you rouse the Spirit of God in, in, so that he, he moves in your house among you in a, in a real way so that, you know, there's conviction in the hearts of the children and there's, you know, there's a, uh, a sensitivity to the presence of God. How do we, my goodness, how do we do that? Isn't that what we need to know? That's what we need to know, isn't it? That's why we come on Wednesday night is to know things like this. Because we don't want to be sailing across the sea in a storm and Jesus asleep in the bow of the boat all the way and we drown. We want to rouse him so he can fulfill the things that only God can fulfill. Look, folks, if, we, if I could change your body, I would. If I could get out of here right now, I would. I certainly would. I would change your body and mine and we'd be all gone. But there's some things I can't do. What I need to do is make sure he's awake And he's awake among us. He's awake in my life. He's awake in my home. How? Brother Branham asked the question, how do you wake Christ? Are you ready? The answer is the next screen. How do you wake him? By believing his word. Paragraph 130. How do you wake Christ? By believing his word. Faith brings him on the scene. And call on him to confirm his word. Don't doubt. Don't fear. Don't do that. Just believe him as it's written. Let it be done. And God will prove to you that Jesus Christ is the same. Let's stand to our feet. God's done a great job at attracting us. It worked. What he needed to do to get our attention to come to church, come to the right church and believe the right thing and be baptized in the right way, it worked. How many would agree it worked? He got you where you are because he attracted you somehow and had you keep coming. Come on, a little bit further. Come on, a little bit further, a little bit further. He's attracted us well. He's, he's, he's done the right things to get us to where we are. But you know what? Now, now that I'm here, I want to learn everything I need to know to attract him 
to my life so that everything that he has ordained for my life, he will be able to do it. Because there's a lot of things about me I can't change. There's a lot of things about me I can't do. There's a lot of things about me, no matter how hard I study, I don't know. And the only way, the only way that I can, I can really know is if he comes and reveals himself to me. The only way I can really be the kind of person he wants me to be is if he comes and, and just by his presence he changes me from the inside out, right? And Lord, help me to know how to wake him, how to attract him, how to live a life that he's pleased to, whoa, I got to go. I got to go to that brother. I got to go to that house. I got to go to that church. I got to I got to visit that. Just like you did when he attracted you and did, you know, he burned the bush in your path and you it stopped you. It got your attention. Now, Lord, help us live a life that we can we can make him stop in his tracks and huh. I got to go. You'll never do it on the basis of your own interpretation. You'll never do it with your own idea. He says, faith brings him on the scene. Don't doubt. Don't fear. He says, just just believe him. Watch what he does. There's just no more to give. I want to
can pray is, Lord, make my life attractive to you. If there's things i got to let go of, maybe I don't forgive so easily. Maybe I'm stubborn. Maybe I'm just hard-headed or I don't like people to criticize me. Whatever it is, Lord, that holds the presence of God back, Lord, I pray that you would search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be a wicked way in me. And Lord, I, I open my heart to you and just say, Lord, come and identify those things. Lord, dissolve those hard places. Grant us, Lord, the honesty and the willingness to change. There's no seer like you. There's no, no one who knows like you. And Father, we, our desire is just to be attractive to you. Just, we just want, want you to stop. And just like that ranch owner's son that saw that young girl who was outside among the festivities and something about her just stopped him in his tracks. Lord, may something about us draw you closer to us. That's the role of the bride, I believe, in the last days. We don't need to come up with new revelations and we don't need to open books that are already open. We don't need to bring revelations that are already laying there for us. Lord, may we just wear it and live it in front of you that you can see our obedience, you can see our submission to it. Grant it, Lord, is my prayer. Bless this people, Lord, and may you always be welcome here. May no attitude, no matter from myself all the way to the youngest person here, Lord, my family, Lord, may nothing hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit here. Forgive us of things we've done wrong. Forgive us of things we don't even know about. Have your way, Lord, among us, I pray. In Jesus' name. For your glory, we ask these things. Amen and amen. I can stand secure. So carve upon my heart the truth that sets me free. According to the world, yes, to me, yes, be.